0: Hi, I'm Shelly, and this week we are bringing you a special episode of Translating ADHD. I am actually taking the week off, and Cam is bringing you a conversation that he had with our good friend and colleague Inger. Inger is a Black woman with ADHD. She is also a C-suite executive coach and ADHD coach. And she is here today talking to Cam as part of our commitment to make anti-racism a part of the culture of the show and to share her lived experience as a Black woman living with ADHD. I hope everyone enjoys their time with our good friend, Inger. I will be back next week. Thanks for listening.
1: Hi, Inger.
2: Hi, Cam. How are you?
1: Good. Doing well. So let's start with, if you could tell our listeners about who you are and um, what you're currently doing professionally.
2: Well, my name is Inger Shea Colsey. I am a leadership coach, an ADHD coach, and a therapist outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Can
1: you say a little bit about the work that you're currently doing?
2: I am, like I said, a leadership coach. So I'm doing some coaching inside of an organization uh, with leadership and management, and I'm an ADHD coach. So I'm helping women of color with ADHD to be able to live the life that they really want to live. To realize that we are able to do all the things that we've always wanted to do, and have a great life while doing it.
1: Yeah. Well, in that you've been telling me that in that uh, leadership coaching, you're finding, you're finding some ADHD in that leadership coaching arena too.
2: A lot of ADHD. Uh, Interestingly enough, it's a startup and inside of a startup, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and people who uh, have a lot of purpose and vision have ADHD. That's the reason why they're able to have these wonderful, wonderful businesses that they create. So inside of there, to be able to coach them, whether they know they have ADHD or not, has been wonderful. Interestingly enough, um, when they've had coaching from coaches that don't know about ADHD. Yeah they're not getting exactly what they need to be able to communicate in the way that they like to or to be as effective as a team as they like to. So when I came on board, it's been really a really great and happy marriage in the fact that having ADHD and being able to recognize the different communication styles and uh, giving that to others, they've been able to really forge a really great bond and move their in a direction that they really want to go, it's like we're all paddling in the same direction
1: now. Yeah, I think that um, coaches who are not schooled or educated in ADHD can kind of throw up their hands around this. Uh, I don't know. I call it a cognitive dissonance that you're meeting them at this cognitive level of how they process the world, and really accepting the way they process the world, and that can that can be so powerful for our clients. Is yes. that they, they, they're like, hey, you don't really have to explain yourself right now to me. I get it. I yeah. understand. Yeah. Nice.
2: Yes. Yeah. When somebody gets you and somebody can see the way you see the world, it makes it so much easier to explain what your vision is and we can find a way to pare it down into small enough pieces that others can see your vision, you know, the way that you have it. You now, sometimes your vision's way up in the air. That's what the CEO of my company always says. Her vision's way up in the air. And we take the time to break it down into smaller pieces and give it out, uh, delegate, which is one thing uh, those of us with ADHD have trouble doing, but to delegate it in a way that people understand her vision and then they're able to take it and move forward. So the company itself is really uh, doing well and they've really taken on uh, the coaching in a way that. They were very happy with, and then I was very happy with. Again, like they're paddling all in the same direction, so the boat is now float. So that's really wonderful.
1: Yeah, and and a, and a boat with a you know again a canoe or something with with the paddle in the water is much more stable as it moves along. Yeah. It's like a sailboat, you know, sort of <laughs> luffing in the wind or actually under sail. It gives it some stability. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think, and those of us with ADD or ADHD, we need that. We really appreciate feeling. You know, again, we're moving in a direction. We're getting that progress. So I know you've you've told the story about learning about your own ADHD. Um, it was through your your learning that your son had ADHD, and you've told that story a couple times on a couple different um, interviews. And where I'd like to go first is with respect to your own ADHD. Is as you reflect back, well, did you ever have a a moment? as you look back over your life, like, oh, wait, you know, it was like kind of that first realization that you process differently. I certainly have that experience. And I've talked to other folks that have that. But can you relay a story there, Inger?
2: Interestingly enough, um, I've always had that feeling (laughs) that I process differently. For me, it's always been something that's been great. For others, sometimes it has felt like it's something that they just quite didn't understand. There is a time uh, I'm thinking about when I when I went to college. So for undergraduate school, I decided to go away to college and I went to uh, Virginia State University, which is a historically black university, because I'd grown up in a neighborhood that was predominantly white. And I decided that I wanted to have a different experience. So when I went down to Virginia, it was difficult. I didn't realize when you go to college that all of the supports that I had were going to fall away you know, going to school and trying to figure out and trying to go to class and navigate friendships became difficult for me. I looked up and seven years had gone by and I was still in undergraduate school. Seven years, (laughs) people have come, people have gone. And uh, my parents are really great that they just continued to send me to school because they realized, uh, you know, that there were some things that I wanted to do. But there was a day that my father had reached out and wanted to speak to me. Cam you and I are about the same age so what's funny is this within a phone booth <laughs> so your listeners might not even know what a phone booth is anymore yeah. <laughs> but there was <were, laughs> there was a time when phones weren't just in your hand or in your pocket they were in a booth on the corner and so I went to the phone booth to call my father with a calling card they don't know what that is either.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, well, then coins, you know, I don't know, <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. you know
1: that either. You put coins oh, in this machine and uh, you can call machine. people.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember calling people. And I had a conversation with my father and he said, you know, it's time for you to come home. Like you've really tried, but it's time for you to come home. And I said, no, daddy, I really want to stay. I, you know, I really think that this is something I want to do. And, you know, I, I'm going to try my hardest. And he was like, so what's going to be different and that's when i was like oh what 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 is going to be different it's that i have to figure out how to put my own supports in at the time i wasn't i didn't have that language for it but i realized that's what it was and so i said i am going to be able to do this i'm going to take the time and figure out what i need to do and that's what i did so after that we we hung up and you say you have another semester and then i realized the things i needed to do so with my adhd i would do i could do a 10 page paper you know, the night before and it would be great because I've done all the research, but I couldn't type it when we had typewriters too. yeah, So I would go to my friend like a couple hours before and ask her to type it and didn't worry about the fact that I wasn't the one typing it because I wasn't getting graded on typing. I was getting graded on the paper. So, you know, I would handle that in those ways. I figure out uh, when I go to class to sit in the front of the room because that's where I could learn the best. I had to attend class. I couldn't just look at notes. You know, I figured out that I needed to be there in order to retain all the information. I realized <laughs> that my superpower really was that I can remember, interesting enough, I can remember a lot of information all the time at that time and then dump it out and then I'll forget it. Then I didn't, I didn't realize that that was a, a working memory thing. Um,
1: you, are, <laughs> you, you are bringing up memories for me, very similar memories for me. I was uh, six years, you know, five and a half years at, at uh, College Park. University of Maryland, College Park, and semester. When when I started, it was six hundred and sixty dollars a semester, and my mom, bless her heart, you know she she kept paying for my semesters and letting me try to figure this out. And I I just can't imagine it now with forty to sixty thousand dollars for a year of college. That's possible, but I had that phone booth moment too. That's sort of like when someone who cares about you says, okay, well, now I'm going to put a limit on this. And what are you going to do differently? And you realized, okay, what am I going to do differently to sort of get ahead of this ADHD to figure out how you can be successful? I left school after I got a 1.3 GPA, I left school. My last, you know, supposedly it was going to be my last semester like all my peers from college from excuse me from high school were going to graduate that spring 1987 and i left and i went to vermont and and you know it was a record snowfall and the one thing i could do in that time the only thing i was good at was skiing the only thing i wasn't good at school and when i realized i could take classes over that was like a godsend I didn't realize it would all be recorded in, in a, <laughs> I thought they just went away and it's like, oh, I get a do-over. I took calculus one four times and I had to get Dean's permission to get it that fourth time. But it was that realization that my peers are moving on. I was like, okay, Cam, what are you going to do? I'm going to come back in the fall. How are you going to do this differently? And it took me another two years. I graduated in 89 taking that, you know, one semester off, but it was a different experience. And, and you're absolutely right. It was that recognition of like, okay, what do I need to do to be successful? One thing was I had to show up. If I didn't show up, that was the way I absorbed material was sitting there and just letting it, you know, kind of be a part of the conversation. That was so important, but I'd never showed up because we were partying till three o'clock in the morning and then waking up at 11. Oh, missed three classes. Shoot. (laughs)
2: living my life camp living my life and that is what I realized that I had to show up and I've used that now moving forward all the time that I have to show up because when I show up you know that's when I'm able to take in things that's when I'm able to give to other people also because also in showing up at the class the teacher was able to see me I was able to ask questions the teacher saw me as a human being not as somebody that was just lazy or did not care because the thing is that's what happens they think that that is who you are that you don't care that you are lazy that doesn't mean anything to you and it was anything other than that for me it was extremely important for me to finish school it was extremely important for me to start my career so I had to realize that this is what I needed to do is to show up because when I show up then you know the real me comes out I'm recalling a story too of, of school when nobody wanted to speak when we had to do finance but a finance class oh my goodness um and nobody wants to be the one in the group, all the group work you do to speak. And I was like, oh no, I'll do the speaking. It's like, if you guys can put a project together, I will speak and we will get an A. And I told them that and they believed me. And I went up to speak. I had all the knowledge and all the information that they had figured out and given to me down to the very last decimal. So when a teacher asked questions, I was able to answer them confidently and we got an A. And that's where my superpower lies in showing up.
1: Wow. I think that um, it's that mindset, like a growth mindset, mm-hmm. right? Of of we can be susceptible to a fixed mindset, kind of like oh, the world's against me, it's not fair. Here I go again. What's the point? And having a kind of a growth mindset, and it sounded like that growth mindset occurred, you know, after that phone booth moment with your dad, right? Of like, okay, what, what can I do here? But also that coupled with the showing up was key for you. And I think, and I would I would agree. So many coaches when they when they go through training programs, there there are so many who will show up for the training and learn, but not actually put themselves out there and practice. And they're always like, How do I build my coaching practice, Cam? I said, listen, you have to build it by actually doing it. If you want to build a coaching practice, you have to practice coaching. To practice and get out there and and be transparent and and you know let people know where you are. And also Commit to becoming a better coach, commit to training, commit to certification to move forward there because there is an industry there with standards and that really matters. But it's show up and show up for the long haul. Did you want to add to that at all?
2: No, I, I, I just don't want to agree with you and that, that too. Um, showing up and showing up with the commitment, understand that there are standards, things that you need to do to show the competency that you have. Being a woman of color. I think it's very important. We don't really get a pass. We don't get a chance to not have any of the certifications or do the things uh, that people will expect to have done. We don't get uh, an extra, we don't get it where you're able to just go, oh, okay, we're just going to let you slide with that. We need our eyes has got it and our T's crossed to be taken seriously in anything that we're doing. So to put yourself out there and to make sure that, that you have followed through and getting those certifications uh, knowing your your craft to the best of your ability is very important for everyone, but I think it's particularly important for us of color to be sure that you know we're getting things done the way that we need to have them done, so that we're seen as actual professionals.
1: I appreciate you going in this direction, you know, because here I'm a white guy with ADHD. <laughs> yeah. I've you got are. That. Yeah, <laughs> I am, aren't I? <laughs> and bringing in these other pieces here of a black woman with ADHD. And you talked about sort of these, these three, you know, it, it create, it can create three obstacles or challenges. Can you say more about that of beyond the, I guess that comprehensive approach or like really showing up and showing up and being thorough, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, what else? Like I, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, in coaching, we look at resolve and resilience. What is it that you've had to really embrace to move forward? and be successful as a woman of color with ADHD?
2: Well, it's, it's interesting in that, um, you know, when it's always just your experience, it's your experience. So sometimes dissecting it can be, it can be odd, but it is, you know, what's happening. So, you know, being a woman and when you're a woman, the way that you're always kind of running after things, the way that they expect a woman to act. And when you're a black woman, you have to look at that black woman narrative. Sometimes you can be seen as like the angry black woman when you're, you're being competent or you're just being straight up about uh, the way you feel and the way you act. And then we have your ADHD. You're trying always to mask in a more uh, neurotypical world. The way that neurotypicals generally like seeing things done in a more linear fashion, when you are doing things in more of, uh, as you say, global creative way, Uh, it's a little harder for them to see how that goes. So when when you're already doing things that are a little more global creative, when you're also a black woman with ADHD, it's hard for people to understand you a lot of times. And a lot of times you really do feel like you are running very fast to get half as far as other people are. And there are perceptions that people have that you always have to take account for as soon as you wake up and walk out of your door, the way that they're going to perceive you and how that's going to affect you as a person and how it's going to affect you as uh, like, I'm a mother, how uh, that's going to you know, be perceived trying to take care of my child and how I'm going to be perceived as a professional. So it's uh, always something that I have to keep in front of me. And I always have to take into account for it when I I struggle with time mightily, <laughs> as you know, as a colleague. For me to show up to a meeting late, you know, it won't just be looked at as, oh, you know, she's just a couple of minutes late for this meeting. It's like this woman does not care. And this woman, you know, Black women, Black people could always be late. And those microaggressions that happen to are the reasons why people don't move up in business, are the reasons why maybe you're not on different committees, you know, the reasons why people aren't able to even sometimes like start businesses or have things that they want. What I'm doing, especially for black women with ADHD is to provide the coaching because a lot of people, a lot of black people, A, don't understand what ADHD is. B, think of it uh, as it would be a disorder. Something is wrong with you. And unfortunately, a lot of people in the black community don't want to deal with uh, something they would consider a mental health issue that would not be something that they want to deal with it might be a sign of weakness you know what i'm bringing is a the awareness of the fact that it's okay that adhd is actually a thing it's okay for people to have it and it's okay to take care of it you know we need to be able to take care of the things that we need to take care of to have a great life when you can use the superpower parts, which you can you know perceive for yourself as a superpower and then the parts that you find are holding you back. We can find ways to deal with those. That's when you can have the life that you want. So bringing coaching to people who don't even know what coaching is, is the mission to be able to help black women with that and to provide jobs with it. Right? We are really starting a business model to have black women coaches that can coach other black women. So that's the model that you know, we're coming forth with. And we're going to come forth too with a philanthropic wing. To be able to provide some um, coaching either for low cost or at no cost for people so that that won't be a barrier to any type of help that we can give.
1: That's amazing and I just I'm appreciating your that entrepreneurial vision there right? that bold vision that I think so many of us with ADHD can have and I think that that the challenge there is often that we sort of scared of the boldness, right? That, that individuals will kind of have a, a, a big vision, but then, oh, well, I can't do that. And what I'm appreciating is you're fully on board with this, fully committed. I guess uh, the question I have, you know, I'm a, I'm a, pre, I'm a kind of a coaching geek. I want to get a little technical with you around the, like, so you've been a therapist for almost 20 years. And recently, I mean, the last year shifted to, to the coaching model. And that you've utilize, you know, that again, that's your sort of style, open and, and conversational and, and partnering with your clients. But what do you see that makes coaching more inviting or individuals in communities of color are going to be more receptive to say coaching than other services?
2: Well, what's interesting about coaching uh, versus therapy, it's funny, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday. They were feeling that they really love their therapist, but they were very upset in the fact that with therapy, you know, it is a model where you are in, you are thinking just more about um, what's wrong with somebody. For coaching is a model where you think about what's right with someone. So we're partnering to look at your future and the vision that you want to have. It's a, it is a big goal and vision that I have. It's one that I know that I'm going to achieve because, you know, you can look inside the vision and put your values inside of there. And that's how you're able to move forward every day with it. When you're in a model of disease, that something's wrong with you, it's looking at how we're going to fix you. With coaching, it's not about fixing. It's about what it, how it, what it is that you want to do. And that's a, that's a different model for people of color, because we're always kind of taught that there's something wrong with us. When there isn't, there's nothing wrong with you. So with that, there's a little more openness, a little more ease. There's that where I can partner with my client, where it's not that I sit behind a wall or on high telling them what they should do. It's, you know, you get to decide the life that you want. You can actually know more than just my name, And <laughs> you know, a little more um, uh, ability to be more of somebody that is your partner that you know, you know who that person is, you know, not just necessarily using all the different models that you learn in graduate school in where you're able to meet the person where they are and then help them to go across like a ravine to get to where it is that they
1: want to go. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, um, we could certainly keep going here, Inger.
2: You know how any- we go on camp. <laughs> we go on and on and on.
1: <laughs> well, any, any final thoughts you want to share with, with audience before we wrap up?
2: Uh, everyone know that it is something that happens for us people with ADHD and the people who don't even know that they have ADHD when you're out there and you feel that sometimes people don't understand you or you do have a different mindset or the way you think about a problem is so unique that people sometimes are even afraid of it to look at that and say it's not that there's something wrong with you it's that you're just thinking in a different way and when you can embrace that and then look at it and use it for the best of your ability to have the life that you really want and to consider that, especially for people of color. You know, it, it's been a long road. We've, we've seen a lot happen lately. It's been really uh, great that dialogues have been opened up. Yeah. And so to use this time to really go in and get into things that you really do want and need, you know, speak up for the things that you need. It's okay to do that. And it's okay for us to have the things that we really, really want in life so that people know that you can have that. And we're going to ha- help people to provide that for them best we can. Yeah.
1: I look forward to hearing about those collective efforts going forward. So be we'll in a uh, loop. Yeah. And, and thanks for joining us today on Translating ADHD. Thanks for having me.
0: Cam and I are both so grateful to Inger for being a part of this special episode. And as I said at the start of the show, I will be back next week. If you want to learn more about Inger, you can visit her website, com. I will put that in the show notes as well. And if you have feedback for Cam or I that you'd like to share, you can find us at TranslatingADHD.com or on Twitter at TranslatingADHD. So until next week, I'm Shelley. I'm Cam and I'll be back with you for next week's episode. Thanks for listening.